Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John, and I am the host of the Bible and Life, and I am glad you're joining me on this episode. I'm grateful for you. And before we jump into this episode, let me just express a genuine and heartfelt thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible. Really, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, I thank God for you. Much like what Paul writes in the beginning of the Philippian letter, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel, that God is bearing good fruit all around the world through the Bible and Life podcast, through the listener's commentary, and that is only possible because of your generosity. So from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you very much, and I thank God for you and for your partnership, not just uh, words here on a podcast, but uh, each month when I see your names coming through and the donations that you give and your financial support, I lift up a prayer of thanks, uh, thanking God for you and for your generosity. So thanks a ton, and thanks for being with me on this episode. Over the last handful of weeks, we have just been offering some reflections out of the letter to the Philippians. Uh, that I've packaged under this kind of heading of your life's focus and just some key things that should shape the way we focus our life, the way we should focus our mind, the way we should orient ourselves in this world, your life's focus. And today I want to wrap up that series by just offering a few little reflections out of a short section in Philippians chapter 4. It's a section that really asks and answers a handful of questions for us and then gives us a promise uh, as a result of how, they, how it answers those questions. And it speaks to um, the reality that all of us endure and face in this world. And that reality is that life is uncertain. We live in an uncertain world. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. We have very few guarantees. And certainty is really something we strive for, but it really is an illusion. Uh, we just don't always know what's going to happen in life. We have no guarantees that we'll have a job. People lose their jobs all the time. Or all of a sudden you get a you go for a checkup to the doctor and you get a very bad health diagnosis. And that happened recently in our extended family where my wife's uncle, his wife was with us in December and has now since died. And she was healthy in December and got a a cancer diagnosis completely out of the blue, and there was almost nothing they could do. Or uh, you look at the news and you look at the state of society or your teenage daughter starts dating and it's like, what's up with that? Right? Like uncertainty. Uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty in life. And a lot of times uncertainty leads to distress. How are we going to pay this bill? Uh, how could people treat me this way? I fear for the world my grandkids will be raised in. Is he going to treat my daughter right? Or what's going on with them? Right? Like, there's no escape for any of us in living with uncertainty. No matter how often we compare ourselves to other people or how often we check the, uh, the, our email or read the news or no matter how much we worry, none of that's going to change the fact that uh, the world is what the world is, and there's just an awful lot of uncertainty, that uncertainty is part of life. And when we talk about the 
letter to the Philippians, they knew it. They experienced it. They experienced it at home there in Philippi, particularly since they were brand new believers and the church was viewed with suspicion. And, and in some contexts, it was viewed as an illegal religion and Philippi had a bit of that. And so that created uncertainty. And all of that's embodied in the uncertainty of what's going to happen to Paul. He's currently under house arrest in Rome and in prison and awaiting trial. We don't know what's going to happen there. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. And so as Paul begins to wrap up the letter to the Philippians, he gives some just general little quick one-off instructions that really force us to think about, our again, our life's focus. And where do you choose to find your joy? How do you deal with difficult people? How do you respond to difficult and uncertain circumstances? And in the midst of a negative and sometimes ugly world, what do you fix your mind on? These four questions are directly connected to the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. So, the first question, where do you choose to find your joy? Well, here's Paul's instructions on that. For disciples of Jesus, you should choose to find your joy here. Look what he says, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Where do you choose to find your joy? Paul says you should find it in the Lord. And it's so important to him is he emphasizes it. Again, I will say rejoice. And here's the thing. We often don't pay attention to this, but joy was a key trait of Jesus. Look at John chapter 15, verse 11, where Paul or Jesus says that, I've said these things to you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be overflowing. Like, how could Jesus say that in that context to his closest friends who he'd spent virtually every waking hour with for the last three years if he didn't radiate a desirable kind of joy. In fact, Jesus was so joyful that he actually got labeled by his opponents as a party animal, right? So Jesus was a man with a desirable and radiant kind of joy. The Holy Spirit who dwells with us and in us is a joyful person who actually desires to produce and grow joy in us, right? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Um, and so God uh, is joyful and God desires for us to have joy. The, the problem is, is we live in a world that seeks to steal our joy and we need to root our joy in the right place. And hence, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And this doesn't mean that we, we're just trying really hard to be happy in Jesus. That's not the point. The point is um, that we, we want to fix our gaze on Jesus and fix our mind so fully on him that we recognize he is our ultimate source of joy. He's the thing we celebrate. He's the thing that brings us great happiness. Um, so the idea is quit looking to everything and everyone else to make you happy and instead look to Jesus to be the source of your joy. Be enamored with him. Fall crazy in love with him. Fill your heart with how incredible and amazing and admirable he is and make that the source of your joy. That's Paul's point. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. All right, next question. How about difficult people? Since we live in this, this world and it's uncertain and it's complex, how do you deal with difficult people? Well, Paul has instructions to, to that in verse 5. He says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. 
And that word translated gentle spirit means graciousness, means kindness. It refers to forbearance, like putting up with, right? Like just be gracious and kind, put up with people and be considerate of them. According to Titus chapter 3, verse 2, it is the opposite of being quarrelsome and argumentative, right? Or slandering and speaking evil of. And so instead of doing all that, like being argumentative and running people down, be considerate and forbearing and patient and gracious and kind to all people. That's how you deal with difficult people. And why can you do that? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near to his people. The Lord is close at hand. He could return at any moment. He's here to help. He's he's your defender, right? So we don't need to take matters into our own hands. The Lord is near. He'll protect us. He'll care for us. He'll defend us. And, And since he's the Lord, since he's in charge of heaven and earth, ultimately, what can man do to us? Now, how do you acquire such a gentle spirit? Well, Ultimately, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the things that are mentioned there, right? So going about life in partnership with the Spirit, walking with Him, He'll produce gentleness uh, in you. But uh, as a specific exercise, um, one of the things I would say is fix your gaze on Jesus who embodied this, right? Think of Jesus Uh, During his trial, think of Jesus hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, right? Fix your gaze on Jesus, uh, who as a sheep before its shearers is silent, went to his death, like quietly praying for his uh, opponents, right? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, describing uh, the, the work of the Messiah says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And so one of the, one of the practical things we can do to help us acquire a gentle spirit is just gaze upon Jesus. Fill our mind with Jesus before his opponents, Jesus going to the cross, and letting that become the pattern by which we're transformed, and uh, letting us see God's gentleness and gracious spirit at work in Christ, and letting that become the example for us. And and so, uh, let your gentleness be known to all people, because the Lord is near. So that's how we should deal with difficult people. Well, what about difficult and uncertain circumstances? Well, verse 6 speaks directly to that. And so Paul says, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so how do we deal with uncertain and difficult circumstances? Well, instead of worrying, we pray. That's essentially what Paul says here. Stop worrying about things and start praying. In short, that's Paul's advice. He says, be anxious for nothing. Like, stop worrying about stuff. But in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, in everything, by prayer and supplications, two words that just speak to directing your attention to God, like offering your request to God. And he says, do that. Let your request be made known to God and do it with thanksgiving. So while asking God for help in the midst of difficult and uncertain circumstances, ask God for help. Um, ask God to, to guide you. And remember, when Paul writes these words, it's not like he's 
He's in easy circumstances. He's under arrest in Rome, uh, chained to a Roman soldier in a small little tiny apartment where he has to pay for his own room and board, but he can't work because he's under arrest. That was part of the, the way the Roman legal system worked. And, and Paul is modeling really for the Philippians what he wants them to do. Turn your concerns to, towards God by prayer and supplication, right? Entrust yourself to God. Or as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, right? Like, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the Lord is faithful, and he'll provide for you. Um, frankly, I'm kind of in a situation like that right now where I got denied financial aid for this hip replacement surgery I had. I have very kind of bottom-of-the-barrel insurance. I'm looking at a, a medical bill that's way more than I can pay. And uh, I'm asking the Lord, how can we do it? Oh, there's payment plans, but the payment plans come with, with interest and is even more than I can really afford a month. So, Lord, how are we going to do that? We trust the Lord um, with our requests. Lord, would you somehow provide for our medical bills? The fact is, is one of the most important lessons that we as human beings can learn is to depend on God. We aren't in control of the world. In fact, we have very little control even over our own circumstances. And so to learn that God is great and we are small, that God is good and wants to help, and that we're dependent upon him, that is good for us. That's the proper human posture and position to be on. We depend on God for everything we have and everything we are. We need to learn that skill of depending on God. And so in order to do that, we have to have great confidence in God, that God is wise. He knows what's best for us. He knows how to help, right? Like he's smart and wise and that God is good, that he wants to help and that he really has our best interest at heart. And so as we grow in our confidence of that, we can entrust our difficult circumstances or our uncertain circumstances to God. And that's really where thanksgiving comes into play. And when he says, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, that helps us have a big view of God. It helps us remember how God has helped us in the past and that he can help us in the present or into the future. Um, when circumstances are so large, they seem to dominate our vision or uh, the horizon of our consciousness. Well, when we begin to thank God for things, all of a sudden God's bigness and his greatness uh, begin to fill our, our consciousness and the vision of our life rather than our circumstances. And so uh, Thanksgiving sort of serves almost like spiritual binoculars to bring God and his bigness and greatness and goodness close at hand and to help us keep those in mind when circumstances seem a bit overwhelming. And so how do we deal with uncertain and difficult circumstances? Well, we pray and we trust God and we thank him and we depend on him. And then Paul says in verse 7 of Philippians 4, he says, and, and when you do this, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Like, here's peace that goes beyond anything that makes sense to human beings, and it's going to stand guard over our hearts and minds. We'll come back to this idea of peace here in just a moment. But first, let's get that final question of how do we deal with uncertainty in life? We've talked about where do we find our joy. We've talked about how we deal with difficult people. We talked about how we respond to difficult and uncertain circumstances. Well, in the midst of a world that sometimes is just 
ugly and difficult and confusing and perplexing, where do we fix our mind? What do we focus our mind on? Look at verse 8 here of Philippians 4. Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure or lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there's anything that's virtuous and excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That is, focus your mind on these things. In a world where there's so much negative and hate and mudslinging, where there's so many falsehoods and deceit and lies, where there's so much misinformation and misleading, where, where things are wrong and hurtful, and there's just mean stuff, right? It's easy to let our mind dwell on all of that. But Paul says, let's, let's let our mind dwell on the things that are true and honorable and pure and lovely and beautiful, uh, stuff that's praiseworthy and virtuous, uh, things that's beautifully good. Let's focus on that. And, and that in itself will help us live in this uncertain, sometimes mean-spirited and nasty world in a, in a way that's a whole lot more like Jesus. And then in verse 9, Paul says this, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Follow my example. Imitate me. And here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice that. The God of peace will be with you. In verse 7, Paul said, And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. But here in verse 9, he says, the God of peace. And I think Paul did that deliberately. Like, God is the source of peace. So it's, it's the peace of God. It's the peace that God gives because he's the God who has peace. And so if you and I want to experience the peace of God in our life, we've got to focus ourselves on the God of peace. We've got to entrust ourselves to him. We've got to rejoice in him. We've got to entrust difficult people to him, just like Jesus did. Uh, we've got to remember that he's the one who can take care of us, and so we pray to him. Um, we ask him for help, and we express our gratitude to him. Um, we remember that he's in charge of this world, and so we don't focus on the negative and the nasty, but we focus on the good and the godly in this world. If we want to experience the peace of God as we go through this life, then we've got to focus our ourselves on the God of peace. And what Paul says here is, and the God of peace will be with you, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we wrap up this series on your life's focus, uh, my encouragement to you is to maybe even memorize uh, these four or five verses here in Philippians and let them serve as an instruction to you on where to find your joy, how to deal with difficult people, how to face uncertain circumstances, and how to, uh, what to focus on in the midst of a negative and nasty world so that you and I can live in this world as people who really embody and reflect the very goodness and peace of God to this world.
Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. And once again, thanks to those of you who support this ministry and make it possible. If you want to join the team of supporters, you can go to johnwhitaker.net, click the Give button, and from there, you'll be taken to a page where you can set up a one-time or a monthly recurring donation. Thanks a ton for your support. Thanks a ton for being a part of the Bible and Life family. May God bless you and keep you. I look forward to talking with you again next week.